Well, good morning to Life Church. It's great to see you today. Hopefully, everybody is doing well, enjoying winter. Yes, no. Anybody listen to Christmas music yet? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, yeah, man. All about that. Because that means you get to eat earlier. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can start your holiday eating now. I'm all for that. Anybody? No? You bunch of liars. You know you like to eat like this. I was at the mall the other day. Tammy and I went. It was a date night on Friday night. We went to just, we were walking through the mall. We were at Mayfair Mall. And I said, do you remember when we were kids in the 80s and like this was like the cool thing to do? Now we're like the old people that are walking around. There's nobody there. But we went to Williams and Sonoma, their new store. And like they have a whole section. It's like peppermint bark. You know what I'm talking about? Like you pumpkin spice latte people, you need to get over yourself. I'm just telling you like. Just get like a pumpkin, not a pumpkin, get a, pepper, a, a peppermint mocha from Starbucks, right? Extra syrup. Sugar-free, of course, right? You got to watch your waistline, but wow. So anyhow, I was hoping for some free samples, but those ladies there in the store never caught my drift, so they didn't give me anything for free, so I got to go back and buy it. But uh, good. Everybody good? No? I'm just looking at everybody. Y'all look good today. Look at your neighbor and say, you look good today. No, you got to say good. Like put some, you know, put something on it right there. All right. If you take your Bibles, if you turn me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I'm going to get there in just a minute. 2 Peter 3, 9. I'm going to also get to a passage in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. It's a little bit different this weekend. Typically, I do what's called an uh, a, uh, uh, expository outline where I am basically um, uh, taking a passage of Scripture and I'm unpacking from the passage of Scripture. Today, because of the content of what I want to hit, um, I'm doing what's called a topical, which is I'm taking this, I'm taking a question and I'm just going to kind of answer it uh, actually by asking other questions. And, uh, and so, and hopefully to equip you as the saints of God to do the work and ministry that God's called you to do. And so it's a little bit different. So I'm going to give you a couple different scriptures today and just kind of walk you through some thoughts or some questions if you would. Um, we're in this series, two-part, two-week series on defending your faith and basically sharing your faith and, and really just how do you do that. So last week we talked about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, where Peter says that we are to give the hope of Christ that lives in us. And we're not called to defend the church. We're not called to defend Jesus. We're not called to defend everything in Scripture. We're called to give the hope of Jesus Christ that's in us. And that's awesome because in the world in which we live in where uh, relativism is an ideology that most of our world embraces, your truth is your truth. Therefore, because it's your truth, we have to respect your truth. Even if I don't agree with your truth because it's your truth, I have to respect it. Therefore, I will give it uh, an opportunity to be able to be heard. And, um, and so, so the powerful part about that is, is even though I don't believe in relativism, I think that there is a truth, and his name is Jesus, because that's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man gets to the Father but through the Son. I get that. At the same time, because our world embraces this pluralistic thinking of relativism, they're going to give you an opportunity if you can articulate yourself to share the hope of Christ in you when they ask. You don't even have to even push it. Allow them to ask it. But when they ask the question, Peter says to share that hope and to do it with respect and do it with gentleness. Why? Because again, they don't believe what you believe necessarily. And so, uh, but God is working and that's why they're asking. And no one of us comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ unless we're first drawn up by the Holy Spirit. And so that's all part of that process. And so we talked about that. I encourage you to write your story out. 
Uh, and if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that because it crystallizes it. It helps you to be able to share your story. Nobody can ever tell your story. It's your story. This is where I was, and this is what Jesus did, and this is it. And then when people try to sidetrack you, well, what about this? Go, you know, I'm not sure about that, but here's what I do know. And go back to what you know. It's just real simple. Your story. So today I want to talk, and I want to open this can of worms. This is the number one question I think that we as Christians get and the world in which we live, on, live in and why people don't serve God. Uh, it's the number one thing that, that I hear from people going, I don't know how to answer this. I don't know what to say with this. And so I, I just think we should talk about it. So here's the question. There's too much suffering in the world to believe in a good God. There's too much suffering in the world to believe in a good God. If there's really a good God, then why is there all this pain and suffering? If God really cares, then why do bad things happen to good people? If there's really a God that's there, then why would a gracious, loving, heavenly father that you talk about, Christians, church, why would he let children die in the streets? And why would he let epidemics happen? And why would he allow entire groups of people to be completely wiped out? If God really cares, if God really, then, then, then why is there pain? Why have I experienced so much personal pain in my life if God really is a good God and loves me? Many times when that question is asked, we, we don't know how to respond to it. And part of that has been because, you know, well, the Bible says so. Well, the problem with that statement isn't that I don't believe in the God's word. I completely believe in it. I, I, I lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, I would fall. But the reality is, is that the world that's asking the question about pain and suffering don't necessarily believe the Bible that you have. So how do you respond? Because chapter and verse... It's important that you understand it, but they're not buying into it. They're not believing the same thing that you believe. So how do you answer that question? What do you do with that? And before, you, before, before we stop, I, I think this is an, an important for us to understand this. Questions are good. Questions are not bad, um, especially theological questions of this nature. Because what it means is that somebody is open to hearing and learning. Uh, they, they, they're, there's something that's happening in their, in, in their brain that's making them kind of challenge and ask and push back. They're, they're seeing things, they're hearing things, and they're trying to register and reconcile it. So the fact that they're asking the question means that they're curious. And, and, and that means that God's at work. It's something I learned a long time ago as a communicator. I want to evoke a certain amount of emotion in you as, as a listener, because if I can get you emotionally involved in what I'm saying, it can change you. If you are passive or apathetic, it does no good. It doesn't move the needle. It's like, it's like you know, Ferris Bueller's day off. Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone? It's that kind of a deal, right? Uh, no, no, no. The, the deal is if I can get you mad, or I can get you glad, or I can get you laughing, or crying, or upset, it opens you up. You're at the highest level of openness to be able to go, you're reacting to what's being said. And so at that point in time, it's like that's fertile soil to be able to plant the word of God. And so again, questions are not bad. This question is not bad. God, where are you? Where, that's basically the essence. Where are you? And so when you read the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is dying for the sins of humanity. He's on the cross. He's suspended between heaven and earth. And, 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 and the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. I think it's important that we understand that. He didn't just take on the sins of the world like a big backpack. He became, he personified, it was projected upon him. The grotesqueness, the, 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 every part of the vile, ill, uh, negative, nasty part of sin. So much so that the Bible says that the heavenly father, that God the father turned his head away from his only son. 
And the Bible says, and the, and the heavens drew black and, and dark and, and darkness covered the face. And in that moment, what does Jesus do? He asks a question that we're talking about today. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I know why I'm here. I know that I'm dying for the sins of humanity. I know that this cup can't pass from me. I know this is going on, but where are you in this, God? Why have you left me alone? God, I did what you asked me to do. And where are you in the middle of my pain and the middle of my suffering? You think about that. If he who knew no sin, who became sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God would ask that question, how much more are you and I who are fallen and, 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 and failed and, 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 and just marred humanity are gonna ask God, God, where are you in this? God, I don't see your hand right now. God, I don't know. God, I don't understand this. Questions aren't bad. God's not up in the heavens going, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh my goodness. <sighs> we're gonna have to scrap this whole world and start all over again. Maybe we'll get it right the next time. No, 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 no. Let the questions keep coming. So what do you do? How do you respond when someone asks that question? First of all, take the question and say, hey, I'm not a theologian. I don't have a degree in theology, blah, 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 blah. That's a great question. Let me ask you some questions to kind of help the conversation. Let the conversation happen. First question I would ask if someone said to me, why would a loving heavenly father who's a good God, why would he allow bad things to happen on the face of the earth? Why does he allow for pain and suffering? I just can't serve a God that would do that. First question I'd ask is if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you're taking notes, just write this question down. If you could... Would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you had a button, you could just push and you could eradicate all the pain, all the suffering, all the negative, everything in the world, everything that was bad in the world, would you just push that button? Now, before you ask that question, before you answer that question, rather, what about you? How does that affect you? What have you done or are you doing that might eradicate you from the equation? What about your kids? What about your grandkids? What, 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 what about your parents? How might that change history and life? What about a brother or a sister or an aunt or uncle or a cousin? What about a friend? Because what happens in these conversations is we, we want to eradicate everybody else except we want to give justice and we want to give reprieve to people that we know because we know the other side of the story. See, if I, if I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, and I don't, I only smoke one pack, but if I smoke two a day, I'm going, and I don't do that. Um, I just thought there's middle school kids that are sitting here going, see, mom, he smokes, why can't I? So, you know, I don't smoke at all. I'm, I have, actually, I have asthma, and so it would really be bad. So anyhow, so let me get back to this. If I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, and I would go, look, I, I think we should give, I, I think, you know, smoking's fine, but I think the alcoholics are the problem. I don't drink, I just smoke. See, I'm always going to judge from my point of strength, not from my judge of weakness. I'm not my point of weakness. I'm going to want to eradicate the negative and the ills of the world because of, from my perspective of strength, not because of my perspective of weakness. And so, because again, I'm going to take out everybody who's incarcerated in the system. They're gone. I'm going to take out, you know, the, the nonviolent offenders. They're gone. 
because that's the ill in the world. I'm, I'm going to take out people that, that they did something stupid when they were 14 or 16. They're gone. Anybody, whoever, you make a mistake that hurts anybody else, you're gone. Who's left? Because here's the reality is, I don't know your junk, but you do. And you know what you're doing right now or last week. Or even the ills that go in the, in the recesses of your heart. You know what your kids had the ability to do. Nobody, you stop like that and you go, are you really going to push that button? Because for God to do that, he has to remove not just everybody out there that's bad, but everybody that you know that's bad. And the problem is, is that evil has a name. Usually it's a son or it's a daughter. It's a brother, it's a sister, it's a friend. It's just not some nameless So why is it, if we wouldn't push the button, why is it that God doesn't push the button? Because he has the ability to. He can just wipe us all out. He's done it before. Noah in the ark. Why is that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 gives us a reason why God doesn't just push the button and just hit reset. For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish. That's the heart of God. Is he just to be able to hit the button? Yep. Is he righteous? Yes. See, we think we want fairness, but we really don't want fairness. Because fairness means that all of my sin, I have to pay and atone for. And I don't have the ability to do that. I, I, I don't have, I, I'm not strong enough, tough enough, smart enough to do that. No, I don't really want fairness. I want Grace. I want undeserved, unearned favor that only comes from God because I know how jacked up I am. Is God slow? No. Is God a man that he would lie? No. Is God going to one day hit the reset button? Yep. But he's waiting patiently as a father would for his child to come home. Why? Because that's God's heart. Not willing that any should perish. Second question I'd ask is, where does your sense of that not ought to be come from? Where does the sense of that not ought to be come from? We all have this, this shouldn't happen. This is wrong. This suffering, where does that come from? Where does this shouldn't happen come from? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I mean, again, you know, like take for instance, murder. There's no place on the planet where people go, yeah, just murder all you want to, kill anybody you want to. We're totally fine with that as a society. Matter of fact, we embrace it. It's really good for us. Nobody does that. So why is it that 6 billion people on the planet, different languages, different customs, different places in the world, different backgrounds, believing different things, having different gods, all resonate on certain moral values. Like, shouldn't murder people. 
shouldn't kill people. It's just not right. Where, where does that come from? It, it can't be from a religion because there's multiple religions. And, and multiple religions believe in the sanctity of life. And it, 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 it can't come from, from a particular group of people, a northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere, because it, it pervades both. It can't come from a particular continent because it's on all. So where, where does that come from? Where does that thinking come from? It, 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 and so that type of question and thinking about that is what led the author C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. It's what led him as an Oxford professor from being an agnostic atheist to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Lewis began to look and realize, hey, at any given particular period in history, people believe these basic moral issues. They believe these basic moral values. And they, they have this. It's encoded. And, and in, any, in any strand of time, in, in any continent on the earth, in any hem, part of the hemisphere, people are believing these basic things. Where does that come from? Where, where, this is, where is that? It, somebody had to put that in there. And if that is consistent in our internal makeup, then there must be some divine design. There's got to at least be some power behind all of this. There's no way this can just happen accidentally or just coincidentally or just because. This line of thinking and this question of where this should not be come from, that's what led him to, to, to basically come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the book, Mere Christianity, Lewis writes this, quarreling means to show that the other man is wrong that there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what was right and wrong actually are. Supposing you hear a cry for help from a man in danger, you will probably feel two desires. One desire is to give help. That's due to your herd instinct. The other desire is to keep out of danger. That's due to your instinct for self-preservation. But you will find inside of you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. Where does that come from? Lewis concluded it came from a God who he accepted through Jesus Christ and became a follower of him. I don't think we should ever tell people, don't ask questions. Or be scared in some way of asking questions that's going to knock God. No, 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 no. Engage your brain. Use your intellect. Study. See, we, we get this. Wade into it. Even in things you don't know. See, what, what happens in, 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 is that we try, to, we, try to, we, we, we try sometimes to eradicate the tension or act like it doesn't exist. Instead of, instead of the success in life, uh, and, 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 and even with people, it's not about the eradication, the abdication of, of, of tension, but rather it's the management of tension. It's stepping into the middle of it and going, okay, let's, that's a great question. Why would, a, if God is so good and so gracious and awesome, then why would he allow suffering in the world? Let's, let, let's explore that. So if you had a button and you could push a button and you could eradicate all the ill in the world, would you? But before you do that, how does that affect you or your family, your friends, the people that you know? Okay, there's something inside of you that says this is pain and this is suffering. These kids should not be dying in this third world country. This shouldn't be happening in the world in which we live in. Something's wrong here. Why is this? Where does that, that ought not be? Where does that come from? Is that universal? Is that just an American ideal? Where does that come from? 
And those processes began to, and you embrace the question and allowing for people to begin to journey and to find their own journey of faith. It's totally fine. The third question I would ask is this, is do you believe that the world that you live in is broken? This is a great worldview question. Do you believe the world that you live in is broken? Most people in our world will tell you they think the world's getting better in many aspects that we're progressing, right? So technology. So we, we, one, the way that we want, one way we want to eradicate uh, pain and suffering is safety. So we enacted seatbelts decades ago, right? When I was a kid, I mean, like, you just, nobody wore seatbelts until I was about eight years old, and then they, they became a law, and that kind of happened, that goes from there. So today, we, we see people without seatbelts, or kids in the front seats, Right? I mean, I used to sit in the front seat, right? I mean, all this, you just don't think. So, so we, we're at safety. So we have autonomous driving vehicles in Scottsdale right now. They're, prototype, uh, they're testing the prototypes, and you can get into a uh, you know, Lyft ride or an Uber, and, and you can you know, go wherever, and it's autonomous you know, motor. Because we figure if we can, if we can have computers, it's going to take away the, 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 the human fallacies, and therefore it's going to make things more safe, and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, I think that, man, there's more money in the world. We're figuring out how to eradicate cancer. We're, we're, we're figuring out how to how to get fresh water to everybody. We know that there's enough money on the planet. There's enough wasted, thrown away food on the planet that if we redistributed it, that we would be able to feed everyone. And so we're working hard to do that. So, so yeah, I think things are getting better. So again, is, is it progressing or is it digressing? This is important because in the life of a Christ follower, we believe in the opposite of progression. We believe that the world is actually digressing. Because when sin entered the world, so did the curse of sin and sickness and death. And so with that, this world, the planet, you and I, were never intended to manage sin. We, we just, we weren't. That's not, that wasn't the plan. And so the idea is we are having to deal with things we are not equipped to deal with. Therefore, God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that we would have life here today. And for, and, and, and for eternity. And so that's, that's, that's a blessing of who Jesus is. And so, so, but we look at life and we go, yeah, we, we may be able to figure out how to get longer lives, but if you, if you believe the Bible and you read in the book of Genesis, you'll see these guys lived hundreds of years, up to thousand years. So what's happening? Well, there's all kinds of things that are happening in the gene pool, all kinds of things that are deteriorating, all kinds of sickness and diseases happening, all of this type of a deal. Um, we, we, we know that we're probably, the world is due for another purging of itself through some type of a plague. That's the reason why there's such a, a, a heightened feeling about uh, influenza and these, these type, you know, the CDC is doing all kinds of stuff because they know that, that this, the diseases right now, especially because the world in which we live in with, with air travel alone can, can migrate very quickly all around the world. Um, there's all these things. And so we're trying, so we, we know, so, but we view it as, as the world was perfect and now we live in this fallen world that's broken. But if I view that the world is perfect or it's messed up, but we're getting better, then, 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 then I think all this advancement's getting better. And I'm not speaking against technology. I'm preaching off of an iPad. I understand I'm not against technology. Uh, and, and I'm not for against autonomous driving vehicles. I don't really care, to be honest with you. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. If, as long as they can get me to, to, to Chick-fil-A on time, I'm okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, but here's what I am saying is, we live in, but, but if that's your worldview, that it's progressing and getting better and all of these types of things, then, then, then what happens is, is, that, is that 
you think this world's the final version. And that would really bother me if I thought this was the final cut. Because what do you do with this? I mean, it, it bothers me that we can eradicate hunger and we don't. It, it bothers me when I go to Cambodia and I see people that literally are not allowed to live on land because they're not, they don't have enough money and there's no system in place for injustice. So these people are forced to live on makeshift barges. You help pay for a playground for kids that you'll never meet this side of eternity that go to a school. It's called a floating village. And these kids, I'll never forget, I saw them uh, come, on, come in and they're on a boat and, and it, they were like, you know, uh, the littlest one was, was, uh, was probably about two, three years of age, no joke, and they had a brother and a sister that was probably six and eight and the sister was, was crowling all of them and the kids were coming by themselves down this, this nasty river and, um, and, go, and, and going right there and then they tied the little boat up and, and they got into the, it was a schoolhouse and they were getting educated and that day, there was a day that they got a Christmas gift and uh, which was some like little trinkets and a doll and that kind of a deal. The boys got like this little car and, 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 they, um, and they got a meal. Um, and then we were asking, where do they play? Like I'm a kid in school and I want recess, right? My two favorite subjects of school were lunch and recess. Amen? Anybody? Afternoon milk? Anybody? Okay, so that's me. So it was just like, where? And there is no place. Why does that happen in the world that we live in? I mean, I've got more, more features in the automobile that I drive. Why? How? How, how? how is it? I see these kids and, and they're urinating in the same river downstream that they're getting, that they're drawing water from to, to eat from. And you go, no wonder they're sick. How is it this exists? Why does this exist? This, this level of, of, of inequity in our world. And, and I get it. The world's broken. But there's something in me that says, no, we're not getting better. We just think we are. I mean, the bastion of civilization as far as like when it comes to technology and moving forward with progression, we would all agree in our world is Silicon Valley. But it is the lowest, it is the, let me make sure I say this correctly. As far as philanthropy and giving to humanitarian need, it is the smallest, worst area in the country for its benevolence. Why is that? And I'm not beating up on them. I'm just saying that, that this doesn't make sense in my mind. It, it doesn't make sense. And so I go, no, the world's broken, man. And we're just thinking that because we're advancing somewhere or because we've got some new gadget that it's getting better. And, and so it's like, it's like touching a, a hot stove. If you, if, you, if you have a child that touches a hot stove, you don't have to discipline that child. They won't do that again. Why? Because the pain that they went through is so damaging that they go, I'll never do that again. So it is as a follower of Christ the amount of pain that we see that sin causes and it destroys. We have our own struggles, but we do our very best. Why? Because we know that there is a day coming where this world that is so jacked up, I mean that theologically, it's so messed up, it's coming to an end. And according to the Bible that we hold in our hand, Revelation 20 and 21 says that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and the old will be passed away. And then that new heaven, there won't be the inequity. There won't be the injustice. There won't be the pain. There won't be the suffering. Why? Because sin will be eradicated. And it will be as peaceful enough that the lion can lay down with the lamb. But if you believe in a world that's not damaged, that's getting better, it's hard to 
wrapped your mind around that. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, verse 18 through 21. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This new heavens, this new earth. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Sin entered into the world, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And in hope that that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Even the world in which we live in is looking for a newness and a redemption. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the earth groans out. We know in the last days there'll be all types of natural disasters and they'll increase in numbers. I'm not speaking for or against our environmental concerns or, or our carbon footprint or whatever. I'm just simply saying we know these are signs that the world is coming to an end. In the last days, there'll be war and rumor of wars. In the last days, there'll be a great migration of people. Many theologians have always just kind of limited that to, 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 to the Jews but there's been many that have now began to conjecture and say, I wonder if the migration that we're seeing from the Middle East into Western Europe, from Central and South America migrating, coming to the United States, there's these pressure points all around, not just in our world, but all around the world. Right, wrong, it doesn't matter where you fall on, the, on these issues. I'm, I'm not talking about the issues in a political sense. I'm just saying there is no doubt that there is a migration of people that are happening across this planet, and it's not slowing. And so, why? Because people are trying to escape whatever ill that they're running from and trying to find another better place for what? For them and for their families. Regardless where you fall, in the, it's, the impetus behind it is the same. And so, again, this world, how do you view what's your worldview? Is it broken or is it getting better? In the life of a Christ follower, it's broken. And so it's digressing. And sometimes people don't ever stop and think because, again, they think their worldview from their world. Their world is getting better. Their world is getting this. Their world is, but what's happening in the world around us? There's no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain and suffering. There's not one, there's not a statement I can give you. I wish I could just like give you a statement and just mic drop. Just, it's done. No. In this side of eternity, we're going to be dissatisfied with watching people suffer. But that dissatisfaction that we all feel, regardless of our upbringing, should be something that echoes to us, that there is a divine design that's at place. So what do we do? How, how do we, what's the response? Well, compassion does something. Compassion doesn't say, I'll pray for you or I'll just do. Compassion does something. And this is where I think as a church, having the conversation is what's healthy. From a Sunday morning to you at a coffee shop to not getting sidetracked with people. Well, bless God, they just don't love God. No, 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 they don't know God. See, I have a great heavenly father. Or excuse me, I have a great earthly father. So when I read scripture in the context of the father, that word father is a very endearing term to me because my dad's one of my heroes. If I can be the man, if I can be half the man that my dad is, I, I will have served my family well and served you well. 
But there are people that don't have that same image. And they have a father that left them or that abused them or their family. So when they hear the word father, it's everything about them is repulsed because they just, they have to get over that in order to understand who the heavenly father really is. So again, as a church, we shouldn't push people away. We should invite people to sit at the table and let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. It's a great question. Do you know, Jesus kind of asked a similar question when he was dying and said, you know, God, where are you in the middle of this? I think sometimes that's a human question and a human deal. I know I've wondered, God, where are you? God, where, where, why is this? God, how do we fix this? How do we redeem this? And there's one to two responses. My grandparents' generation would basically say, well, you know what? They're going to die anyhow, so let's don't spend any money or energy just trying to, to feed them physically or to meet their needs physically, but let's just give them Jesus and at least they'll get to heaven and it'll be all right. And the problem with that is, is that Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of, me, of these, you've done it unto me. And, and said, you know, you're, you're, when, 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 when the end of time is all revealed, there's this conversation that the Bible records that Jesus is going to have. And that, you know, when, Lord, did we see you naked? And when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you thirsty? And when did we see you in prison? He says, well, when you saw this person on the side of the road and when you saw this individual, when you saw that's, and you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So that comes to the generation today where it's like, hey, we, we've got to make sure that we're meeting the physical needs of people and they need medical attention. They need clean drinking water. We, we, need, a, we need education for sanitation. We need to fit water filtration systems and, and just some basic, basic engineering things can help people increase their quality of life. And, and, and we, we, need to, we need to give food to people. We need to feed people. We, we need to give to that and people that are hurting and we need to do. And, 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 and that's right, but what about their eternity? What about their, their life with Jesus? What about, but, but, but I, I can only handle this right now. Yeah, yeah, I got that. And I'm not, but what about, and again, I don't think it's a man, attention to be eradicated. It's attention to be managed. And what happens is if we're not careful as a church, we become people that preach the gospel and we have no good works. And James says that faith gospel without works is dead because the world doesn't understand it. Because what the world wants to see is they want to see your good works. They want to see you feeding the poor. They, isn't that what pure and undefiled religion is? Is to take care of the widows and the orphans, take, give to those that don't have the ability. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we will also find ourselves doing such good works and be do-gooders that are completely forgotten the gospel. And what good does that do anybody? It helps them today. But what about eternity? And this is my frustration. This is my concern with the church of Jesus Christ. Please hear me for a minute. If we're not careful, we will either give them Jesus and not minister to their needs, or we will minister to their needs and not give them Jesus. And in any situation, that is an impotent church that does not have the ability to produce life. And it's a church that the world looks at and goes, I don't want anything to do with that. Because you're not dealing with the pain and the suffering. 
Because when we get to heaven, they're going to realize, oh, there was more than just the physical pain and suffering. They're spiritual. And this side of eternity, we see the physical because that's the realm in which we live in and we're much more acquainted with. Instead, we as the church of Jesus Christ need to step into the tension, have the conversation, preach the sermons, let the awkwardness fill the room, let the tension fill the room, let the emotion fill the room, and at the same time go, we've got to do something to minister to people that are hurting and minister their needs right where they are, but in, not in doing that to bait and switch them at all, but in an avenue to love them in such a way that allow the Holy Spirit to draw them, and at the right moment, then we give them the hope of Jesus that's within us. And if they never ask, that's okay. We're going to do it in his name. I read Steve Jobs, his biography, before he passed, right about the time he was passing. There were two interesting statements that were in that. One is that his adoptive father was from Richville, Wisconsin. I've always wondered if he had stayed in this area and Steve Jobs went to Germantown High School, what would that look like? It's just a thought. The second thing is, is that Steve Jobs talks about, because of his father's Midwest upbringing, uh, he was raised in a traditional mainline church. And about eight, nine, 10 years of age, he sees this image of pain and suffering, children uh, suffering, uh, famine. And he goes to the Sunday school teacher and says, what do we do with this? How, why would a loving God allow this? Where does this fit? And the Sunday school teacher did what most great Sunday school teachers did. Let's go talk to the pastor. Because he's a Bible answer man, right? He's got all the answers. So he went to the pastor and he asked. And Job says, the pastor couldn't answer my question. He, he just kind of stuffed the question. And we just don't understand everything, Steve. And it's just kind of how the world is. And it's kind of the way it is. And he said, inside of me, I'm going, no, it can't. It, there should be something. And at that day, I looked at the church and realized, I don't want to be around a God that will allow his creation to suffer that way. And I don't want to be around a church that has no answers. Now stop and think about that for just a minute. How many times do we abdicate? Because we don't want the awkwardness. We don't want the tension. We don't want to engage our, our cerebral cortex in order to intellectually get involved with the conversation. Not to try to defend the gospel. Not to try to promote something. But just to involve ourselves in a conversation and allow it to happen. And allow the Holy Spirit just to have room to work. Because in those moments, he will fill our mouths with the words that we don't even know what to say. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes. Because the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. And so from that becomes something. Oh, whoa, we like to sing worship songs and we like to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and speak in tongues and pray in tongues and interpret and prophesy all over one another. When honestly, that gifting is not supposed to be something that's just locked up in this room, but it should be happening at Collectivo. It should be happening at Starbucks. It should be happening at the grocery store. It should be happening sitting there watching your kids have soccer. When all of a sudden one parent begins to talk to another parent or one student talks to another student and a question begins to ask and you kind of go, I don't know the answer, but let's explore this together. And we began to unpack that and do that and think about that and process that. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit's leading in that person. He's drawing them. I try to shut the church down. He's drawing them and we're giving God the Heisman. 
trying to put them in this box. I don't want a God that I can put in a box. I don't want a God that I can just put in some formula and that's it. I want a God that I don't always understand. I want a God that shows up sometimes and does the miraculous. I want a God that sometimes perplexes me because he's so great. He's so vast. He's bigger than me. I, I, I don't have all the answers. Does it make it? And that's uncomfortable. I get it. Be a pastor. Try being a pastor for a week. It's really uncomfortable with these types of things. But I just wonder what would have happened with Steve Jobs with someone who was so much a creative genius that most of you in this room have something in your personal possession right now that was designed by him. How could he have changed the world? If the church would have stepped into that moment and just spoken. It's a great question. I, I end with this, and I, we as a church support an organization called Convoy of Hope, which is a faith-based humanitarian aid organization. Disaster relief, feeding kids, ministering to people, women's empowerment, agricultural initiatives. Um, I serve on their board. I'm on the executive board. We have meetings in the fall and in the spring, and so this fall we had our this past week had our, our, our fall meeting, board meeting, and we were invited uh, to uh, Hobby Lobby headquarters in Oklahoma City because the Green family, are, they're very philanthropic as far as gospel-centric, faith-based initiatives and have given quite a bit of money to Convoy of Hope. So that morning, uh, Thursday morning, 8 o'clock, David Green walks into the boardroom there at Hobby Lobby headquarters and uh, here's a man who Forbes just released the top 400 richest people in America. He's 137 or 141. I can't remember. He's worth like $7 billion. And uh, devout follower of Jesus Christ. And we had just announced that Convoy of Hope, we had a goal of hitting 200,000 kids being fed every single day by the year 2020. Well, it's 2018, and we just crossed the 200,000 mark of children that are being fed every single day. And David, excuse me, yeah, David Green comes in and he's talking. He looks at Hal, the president. Hal is the most kind, gentle individual. And he says, Hal, that's good. That's really good. We, my generation, basically, there was a generation that we just kind of just looked at the soul and didn't really take care of the physical. And we need to go into every man's world in every aspect. Let me tell you something, Hal. If we don't combine the doing good of feeding those kids with the gospel, we miss it because that's what makes it great. He said, that's where I differ with Jim Collins on good to great. Good to great, you, you can say, you know, good to better, good to best. But unless there's an, an eternal connection to it, it's all going to burn. It's all, it's, he said, he was sitting there, he says, we have 10, we, 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 excuse me, we have a million square feet under roof right now here at the headquarters. It's all gone. None of this stuff. The only thing that matters is, there's only two things that the Bible says will last forever. God's word and his people. So leverage everything for those two things. God's word and his people. Eradicate spiritual poverty 
and, and physical poverty and need in people. Let's love people right where they are, but give them the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's what will make it last forever. That's what this is about. I pray that we will be a church, that you will be followers of Christ, that will not only preach the gospel, but will do good deeds. And we won't be marked as a church that just does good deeds without the gospel being presented. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And I'm concerned that if we're not careful, we become a church, big C, that ministers to the needs of people and we don't address the spiritual issues of people because we're scared to answer the question, why would a God who is so good allow suffering? Well, I don't have an easy answer, so I'm just gonna just do the good deeds. No, 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 you don't get off that easy. No, Jesus Christ didn't die for you to have another meal, theologically speaking. But he also didn't come so that people would die when we have the ability to save them. It's not either or, it's a both and. So I encourage you. I encourage you with this. I know I've given you a lot to think about. This is not an easy subject, but wait in. Have the conversation. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. And if you're here today and you're wrestling with that, think and ponder. Love to have a conversation with you in the foyer after service as well. And, uh, and again, I don't have the answers, but I'll be happy to have a conversation. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today for your people. I thank you today, Lord, that you're not off put by our questions. But rather, Lord, you are very much engaged. You've given us our brains and our minds and you use all the capacities and the capabilities that you've given us for us to, to engage with you. God, you're there. And you have been framed as some terrible, horrible, absentee father when you are loving and gracious and kind and caring. Help us who receive that to so freely give that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.